You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Dennis Dodd is one of the leading college sports writers in the country. He covers college football and basketball for CBS Sports on a beat he has had for various publications and services for more than 40 years. He is one of only seven media members to attend all 16 BCS title games and has chronicled conference realignment as well as the start of the college football playoff. And he's also covered numerous Final Fours. He joins me in believing that the College World Series is severely underappreciated. And stay tuned later this week for more on that with our show. A Missouri grad and a former award-winning Football Writers Association of America president, previously worked for numerous outlets, including the National and the Kansas City Star, where he and I met in the early 1980s when we both had a lot more hair than we do currently. Dennis, welcome to Sports Connections. David, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, we, we kind of match heads right now. That... <laughs> I've, I've got a little bit, but it's thinning. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll move on to more friendly subjects. So let's talk about your background. How did you get involved in being a sports writer? Oh, gosh. Um, well, went to Missouri Journalism School, but I distinctly recall in, uh, in 1969, not many people... Uh, remember this, which was Missouri's last uh, major bowl, played in the Orange Bowl. And Harry Carey did the play-by-play that year for Missouri. Um, I, I would defy anyone to remember that. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much the baseball that he did for years. It was the football. And I just had this vague idea, like, I want to do that. You know, I, I don't know how I want to do that someday. And so long story short, when you know, it came time to, you know, enroll at Missouri. It kind of said, what do you want to do, print or broadcast? And I, I put down print and, you know, somehow got admitted to J school and somehow got through it and got a degree. And, and uh, many jobs later, here I am. It, it, it was as simple as that. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now, uh, what year did you graduate from Mizzou? Uh, 80. 80. Another, so another eon ago. Yeah. Yeah. We're about the same age. And I, I met you in, in 1984 with the star. And even then you were, you were one of the, no pun intended, one of the stars uh, of the sports department. And I, I know you've covered professional sports a little bit through your career, but you focused mainly on college sports. Why is that? Um, there's just, you know, to me, there's, if this makes sense, there's still a purity about it. And I know that sounds silly in this day and age, but these guys, these guys and girls still are 18 to 22 year olds, still, you know, finding their way in the world. And there's something sort of innocent about that. It's fun to watch them mature as athletes and, and, uh, and human beings. Um, and I really do think most of these people who administrate uh, college sports for large amounts of money uh, in their hearts, I think most of them really are, are like me. They want to see these people succeed. Um, and their stories are, are fantastic. I, I really, I don't know what the word is. I, I really get bummed out when some of these coaches have restrictions on who can talk and freshmen can't talk and assistant coaches can't talk. This might be the most, you know, exposure and glory they'll get in their entire lives. I mean, think about this. 99% of these people won't play in the pros. I think it benefits assistant coaches getting jobs. Yeah. And at, at the end of the day, look, I, I think in what we do and covering college is about 80% of what we do is positive. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I, I do think the journalism, journalism has never been better, at least for college football and probably college athletics. But, you know, the default now is just a stiff arm. You know, it's uh, Caleb Williams can, uh, can change can change signals in front of uh, 85,000 people at Oklahoma, but they can't face 10 reporters in person um, to talk about how great he is. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that to me is, is just silly in, in Harry high school. So maybe that'll change. I mean, when I started doing this, all the locker rooms were open and I thought, well, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, and the locker rooms are still open or will be again, I think in baseball, uh, I don't know if they're open in ba- NBA and basketball yet, but in college football, it was, that's where you got the stories after the game. There was so much uh, emotion and there's something to those coaches and players coming right off the field and still having that juice in them and, and expressing themselves. I, I think that's, that's what made it very romantic for me. Yeah. And you know, the people who say that college sports has become too professionalized, they're talking about the business side of it, not the athletes themselves. As no. you most, most of these kids aren't going to be professional athletes and they need to be treated differently. I believe, and it sounds like you believe as well, differently than professional athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've had this, the advent of, uh, of NIL, we're going to have, uh, you know, someday very soon, we're going to have some sort of collective bargaining and, and players will be paid maybe straight up by the schools. Based on what we've seen through these first three or four months of NIL, I, I don't think that will matter much. I mean, this game hasn't changed at all because Spencer Rattler has two cars or the LSU quarterback who now has entered the transfer portal, Miles Brennan has a car or uh, Bryce Young has million dollars, uh, million dollars worth of deals in NIL. I was at the Michigan state campus last week for Michigan and it was still, you know, a hate fest. It was still little brother against big brother. Nobody's talking about NIL deals and, and contrary to what the, what the uh, NCA has, uh, you know, said for decades, it hasn't diminished fan interest. Obviously, all you have to do is look at the ratings in the field stadiums, especially post-COVID. There's ne- it's never been more uh, of interest to people. Yeah. Speaking of interest, uh, I've been to seven Final Fours, not nearly as many as you, three BCS championship games, two Major League Baseball World Series, two Super Bowls, two MLB All-Star games. The most fun I've ever had at a sporting event was at the College World Series, and I've been to five or six of those. Why is the College World Series so great? Well, first of all, it's in a city that embraces it, Omaha. Um, and it has since, what, the 50s, I think, is when they started getting it, maybe the 40s. Uh, so the, the city is totally invested. With the new stadium, uh, Ameritrade Park, I think it is, they built like a little village around the stadium where you can get souvenirs. They, they sell alcohol now. Um, there's stuff for kids you can make a day out of it. You can make two weeks out of it because that's how long it lasts or 10 days. And, and then the fact that it's just baseball, everybody relates to baseball at one time or another, they played and these kids and they are kids at that point are still young enough in age where you can, you know, remember playing maybe when you were close to that age. Um, and it's just cool. It's, yeah. there's no, there's no pretense. Um, it's, you know, the, the drama is still there. They play this three-game championship series, which was, I'm sure, was an ESPN idea. But that, that's fine. That ratchet is up the interest too. And, and Omaha is a great city. You know, you, you have 64 teams trying to get there through the regionals and super regionals, and stuff happens. 
that you just couldn't imagine to get there and to just be there for 10 days. I'm trying to remember the first, I was there in the nineties for maybe the national, I think, and spent like all 10 days there and just wrote every day. And at the end of it, you really feel you're like one of the teams. You really feel like you've accomplished something getting through the whole thing. Yeah. And, and to me, there's two things that set it apart. When, when you're talking about the basketball national basketball championship, you talk about the road to the final four. You're talking about college football. You're talking about the road to the, now the college football playoff. In baseball, you talk about the road to Omaha. I think the fact that it's in the same city every yeah. year gives it a, a specialness. The other thing I got to ask you, I've not been there since the, they built the new stadium. Can you still get a Zesto? Yeah, you can. Uh, I, <laughs> I think that I think there is one nearby now. There was one across the street in right. old Rosenblatt where you could go. Uh, I think they have one, either a permanent one or maybe a pop-up one, but you can definitely get a Zesto. You got to get a Zesto. And it runs up while you're in Omaha or in Nebraska or in Lincoln. It runs up. That, that'll, that'll set your uh, gastronomical track back, uh, back to the Stone Age. But For, it is sure. Very- <laughs> For sure. Well, uh, the week that we're airing this episode, excuse me, on Monday, my guest on Wednesday is Ron Polk. And if there's not a better guy to represent college baseball, I don't, I don't know who it is. Uh, Polky is, I mean, during Mississippi State's championship this past spring, he got more airtime than their current manager, but he's such a great guy. And you'll have to tune in to listen. I have a great personal story with Ron Polk where he told me how talented I was in baseball. So you'll have to tune in and listen to that. Uh, Your two major sports, though, are college football and college basketball. Do you have a preference which one you like more? Yeah, I like like football. I always contribute during uh, March Madness. The appeal of, of college football is there's a run-up to every game. It, not, not unlike the NFL, um, but it's a little more urgent in that they play only 12 games now. They might end up playing 17 in a 12-team playoff, but that's another conversation. Um, and it really is every game matters. I'm one of those people who'd rather watch a 31-7 to blowout in the Sun Belt than pretty much any NFL game. The NFL does nothing for me. It's it just seemed that until recently, every game seemed to be like 13 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Um, I, I do watch the Chiefs because I think they are more of a college offense, at least. Uh, Tom Brady, the, what he's done has been amazing. And, and I think the NFL itself. But it's just uh, there, there's a story for me coming out of any college game I watch that um, – that I don't see with, uh, with NFL games. Um, you know, I can sit there and watch and there, there may be something off the field. There may be something on the field. There may be a coaching change in it. There may be something in the stands. I, I was at uh, Oklahoma, uh, uh, Kansas State earlier in the year. And this was a week after Spencer Rattler was booed at home by his own fans. And at the end of the game, four Sooners made it a point to go to the Oklahoma cheering section at Bill Snyder Stadium and, and thank the fans. And Spencer Rattler was one of them. I thought that was interesting. And that's kind of what I wrote about. Um, you didn't get much personal feel for it because everything was on Zoom. Um, and, and hopefully that'll end, you know, soon too. But that's, a, again, a decision by other people. Uh, but I thought, I thought that was my story um, coming out of that game. So it's stuff like that. It's just the people, it's the relationships, it's, you know, walking off the field with Matt Leinart at the Coliseum 
when he beat Notre Dame, whatever year it was, when he realized he, he owned the city. You could see it in his eyes. And I think it was the year he won the Heisman. He didn't say it, but you could see it. Yeah. And the only way you could see it was to walk off the field with him that night. And the, to me, the difference between college football and pro football is the fact that there's no student section in pro football. Yeah. The, the student section in college football, you may not know anything about football, but you're in English 101 with that freshman running back. Or yes. you're, you know, you're, you, you eat in the same dining hall as that linebacker or whatever. And there's that relationship that's not possible with mo- most NFL teams. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, I was that way in college. You just did it. Um, and, and I think even the adults that go there, the alums, you know, hey, uh, this guy walked the same campus as I did. And that little sliver of relationship uh, sometimes makes it worthwhile. Um, you know, it's, and, and it is pretty cool that way. I, I still have a fond place in my heart for the mighty Utah student section. Uh, they call themselves MUS, that's the, the abbreviation. And so I, I think the, maybe the, one of only two games I covered there was the day, the night, day. They, cut, they clinched the Fiesta Bowl under Urban Meyer. And I'll never forget, I think I can tell this story. They beat uh, BYU pretty handily. That's the Holy War. And I'll never forget this. Somebody in the student section held up a sign towards BYU that said, where's your God now? <laughs> you've, got this, you've got this secular school, the public, you know, the public land grant Utah against, we all know, you know, Mormon school in, uh, in BYU. And that's part of the, uh, that's part of the, the rivalry. And I'll never forget that. I just laughed. I just, maybe that was inappropriate, but I laughed that day. Yeah. It, <laughs> there are so many stories and, and I, we could, we could spend hours just talking about some of the great stories uh, in college sports. Speaking of college football right now, it's a, you know, the big story and it will be even when we air this and it will be a couple of weeks after that is the college football playoff and the selection process. The initial selection had Cincinnati on the outside looking in, even though they were rated number two in the, in the AP poll, even though they were, you know, they're undefeated, they were behind it. What uh, three, one loss teams. How do you respond to the people who criticize the playoff and the selection process? Well, I'll just react to that first poll because that's all we have to go on right now, specifically Cincinnati what it told me is, and that's this is the biggest problem I had. Cincinnati was number six. Okay. Uh, in the human polls, the, the coaches that, that coach the games and the media that watch the games, um, both consensus number two, Cincinnati number two, no question about it. So, but according to 13 people in a room that, um, you know, they're deciding these things on a weekly basis. And that's another conversation. Again, why we do this for six straight weeks. I don't know. I know, I know it's, it's rating. So, um, um, so that's the problem I had. Cincinnati is that much worse than, than the experts quote unquote, that, that watch this game. And, and clearly the answer is no, because I don't think there's a, there's a team in this country that has played two power fives in consecutive games on the road um, and beaten, you know, beaten them both went out and got those games on purpose. And one of them was a top 10. I don't think it's happened. Cincinnati did that. And so then if your comeback is their, their schedule, let's talk about that. 
Michigan State played, uh, I think it's Murray State. One of them played Murray State, one of them played Miami of Ohio. Okay, that's your FC, that's your group of five. They both played an FCS and beat them badly. It, uh, Michigan State struggled with Indiana. I mean, there's some games when Kenneth Walker III this year has been shut down. Um, Cincinnati has done what it's supposed to do post Notre Dame. That's kind of blow everybody out, except Navy. So if you're going to hold the schedule against Cincinnati, basically because they won by a touchdown against Navy, you're going to say they're two spots out of the top four and four spots out of where every other expert in the country thinks they should be. I think that was a massive mistake. And to me, it's a cement, not only a cement ceiling for Cincinnati, because I, I don't think they can get up there unless both Cincinnati, I'm sorry, unless both Oregon and Ohio State lose a game. Um, I, I think they might be caught from behind by an Oklahoma or a Wake Forest if they went out. So they're, as, I, as I've said, they're virtually out of it. And it's really disappointing in that. So I think, I think they got that wrong. And I think it's, you know, that's why we need a playoff. We need to expand a playoff to include teams like that. Cincinnati's good enough to play for a national championship. And, and they may be good enough to, to win the national championship. I don't know that anybody can beat Georgia, right. but, you know, and, and Alabama, you know, you say, well, Alabama body of work, they looked at, they, they're as good as anybody, but they did lose a game and Cincinnati hasn't. So I, I'm on your side. I'm glad to hear that, that you're on that side. You can, you know, Bill Hancock's one of the greatest people in the world, but he will talk the company line. He will say, well, it's, you know, he'll give you every reason to think that the, the committee got it right. Um, so do you think that a 12-team playoff is coming? I, I'm very doubtful. I wrote this week that um, that I'm doubtful. Uh, it, and, and it's either going to be status quo at four or it's going to be 12 because eight makes no sense uh, because this has to be a unanimous decision. Notre Dame won't vote for eight because that limits their access and the group of five won't vote for eight because that limits their access. So I think it's way up in the air. They're supposed to meet again, uh, the stakeholders on December 1st. If they don't get anything done, I think the absolute drop dead date for starting uh, an expanded playoff is March by 2024. Then they'll just wait five years and have nothing to go with except four. Uh, I, I would hope it gets done. But it's really degraded the chances from the time uh, Bill Hancock kind of threw it out in a press release, 17th paragraph of an otherwise meaningless press release after a meeting in April. Oh, we had a subcommittee look at four, six, eight, 12, 16 teams. Wait a minute, what? Uh, <laughs> it, it, the, the odds of it have gone down. In fact, the formal proposal to the presidents came June 21st, exactly a month later, um, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, broke that they were going to the SEC and that really stopped everything cold in its tracks because it created a lot of uncertainty, a lot of jealousy. Um, you saw three conferences form an alliance, which is basically a voting block against the SEC in any of this, for better or worse. I'm not saying what they did was right, but that was their reaction to this. And it's it's gotten worse since then. The, the people, uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten want want the Rose Bowl to be, you know, it's traditional time and date and teams, which is almost impossible in a 12-team playoff. So I, I'm, I'm very skeptical right now that anything gets done. I, I want to just jump jump off the tracks just for a second and talk about college basketball. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of rumor, and you know I'm friends with Joe Lenardi, who believes that there will be either a power five or power six, if you count the Big East, 
a basketball tournament with only those and the major independents. Do you think that's a likelihood? Well, I think that is going to be harder to accomplish than any formal breakaway of the football schools, because in many ways that's happened already. You know, when you're willing to cast, uh, without saying it out loud, when you're willing to cast Kansas State, Iowa State, uh, those eight Big 12 schools to, to the nether regions as what looked like was going to happen in July, now they've since reformed obviously, then that should scare everybody. That should scare a Vanderbilt in that, um, you know what, you don't play good football, we're gonna do this. 85% of the money goes to the power five. You see this alliance I just mentioned, they're going to be playing non-conference games more against each other. Where does the group of five fit in there? Where do FCS teams that need money to play those uh, play those games fit in there? Um, yeah, I, in fact, the, the Knight Commission, which is an NCAA watchdog, has recommended that that FBS and the and the CFP break away and form their own LLC and play football by themselves away from the NCAA. So, you know, if it hasn't already happened, it may. What's different in college basketball is the revenue from the basketball tournament, you know, they, they, the schools get nothing from football, from the NCAA. The NCAA doesn't sponsor a championship in FBS. That revenue goes all the way down to Division Three, and it is a lifeblood for a lot of schools. You know, you would have, you would have, even, I think even these big time presidents would have to, you know, why this isn't broke? Why, what do we need to fix about the NCAA tournament? And it's, perking along and making money and doing things great. In 2020, they canceled the tournament because of COVID and it wasn't properly covered by insurance. And that helped really hurt a lot of budgets, but it was a hiccup. It's, you know, next to the Super Bowl, it might be the best event on the planet. So no, I, I think that would be, can it be done? Yeah, you could have the, you could have those schools break away and do it, but I think it'd be a lot of trouble for nothing because if it's not broke, don't fix it. Okay. I I had some other questions, but I, you kind of alluded to a couple of them that I would do, and I know you're short on time. So I want to wrap up with these two. It seems like the remaining Big 12 teams are still in the most jeopardy. Um, in your opinion, where do schools like K-State, Iowa State, Baylor, TCU end up? Is this new, the, the rebuild of the Big 12, is that something that can, can last? Well, wh whether the the reconstructed big 12 is power five or not, it's going to have this dynamic where these four um, American schools or three American schools of BYU that have been brought in are going to get, get a big bump in revenue. Don't quite know what it is. It's been speculated, you know, to be 20 million now um, revenue per year per school. We don't really know yet. It hasn't been priced. I'm told, uh, but for, the big 12 schools that in the last year of the contract in 25, 24, 25, will be making 44 million per year on average. It's going to be a tremendous budget cut. So can yeah. Iowa State keep a Matt Campbell? Can Iowa State hire a Matt Campbell? You know, the next Matt Campbell, whoever that is. So it's going to have to, to, have to take some belt tightening on the existing big 12 schools. And so what does that look like? What's the best football program in the new big 12? I don't know. I mean, right now, I guess it's Cincinnati. But, you know, uh, what does that look like? Do they just beat each other up like the Pac-12 does and, and not have any primacy? That's at least what Oklahoma has done these last six years, winning, winning the last six Big 12 championships. So, you know, yeah, I, I don't know what that looks like 
competitively, but it's going to be a, a, a shared um, belt tightening. And you're asking the question, will they be taken along in the long run? I don't know. I mean, I just, I just, you know, we just talked about the possibility of the power five or, you know, it could be the SEC itself. The SEC might go federated and take in 30 or 40 schools and just say, we're going to play each other and, and pay our players. I mean, I think that's in the offing. So yeah. those are questions I think to be answered in the next five, 10 years. Okay. And here's the follow-up to that. What about schools like Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, Mississippi State, Washington State that are in the quote healthy power five conferences? Mm -hmm. Are are they in trouble of being left out, even though they're in those conferences right now? Because there's nothing about any of those schools. Mississippi State uh probably will separate a little uh, bit, but Vanderbilt football, Wake Forest until this year. Washington State football, basketball. I mean, there's nothing other than the fact that they've been in these conferences for a long time that says they belong in these conferences. Yeah, I, I think that was a message sent by what happened at the Big 12 this summer. Yeah, Duke, Kansas. I mean, who else do you want to name? Washington State. Um, it, it, it dawned on me in 2010 when the Big 12 was, what, 30 minutes away from breaking up with uh, the Pac-12 trying to snatch six of the teams that – Kansas future and Kansas was not one of those six Kansas future as a, as a basketball program was going to be playing in the mountain West or this reconfigured big East, not the big East you see now, which is all basketball schools, this reconfigured big East, which was basically was the American. And it almost happened again during this summer. I had Bill self calling me every week. And I went, Hey, what do you hear? What do you hear? And I go, well, I, not much. Um, but yeah, that, that told me, that yes, that's definitely a possibility. And, and if this, you know, federation ever came about that they would think they wouldn't even think twice about leaving those schools behind. So football really drives it that much that, yes. that these power and, and you know, I'm a K-Stater, so wouldn't bother me at all to see KU get damaged, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, that the, as good a basketball program as KU is, they could be left out of the, of this it, because their football program is so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think a decision would have to be made, you know, do you want to play at this level? And they would, you know, this is what we're going to pay our players. This is what we're going you know, they get collective bargaining agreement. This is how mm -hmm. we're going to have enforcement. This is how we're going to run the game. This is how we're going to play a championship. Are you in or you out? I mean, I think it'll be like that. I don't think it'll be being left out per se. I did a story in 2017 quoting Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD, and he just, he just kind of said in the future, I think it'll be like this. It'll be schools that want to play in this, this athletic division and schools that want to adhere to the more NCAA amateur model. And it was kind of scary. You know, you could come up with about an equal number of them. There were more, there were less in the uh, academic side, but you're going to have to make a decision. You know, if you want to play, this was before uh, NIL or, or really people really started talking about the NLRB and, and collective bargaining, but, if you want to play it, they, they won't be left behind. It's just that they won't, you know, they will choose, I guess is the word, choose not to play at that level, whatever that means. So these, those four schools, and there's plenty others like that, that I mentioned, uh, you know, maybe Virginia is, is one of those as well. I can just, I can, you know, I can run through the, the list pretty quickly uh, of schools that probably don't have the football programs. But if you, but you think if that happens, it'll be up to them. So if K-State says, yeah, we're willing to pay our players this much, we're willing to put this much into the football program to become 
one of those schools, that, that option, you think that option still will be out there? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and th- maybe they'll make it again. So it will be so uh, uh, exclusive that only 30 or 40 schools can step up you know, to the point that the, the problem with that is if you're playing each other every week, half the schools lose. But again, if, if there's some streaming giant that wants to own that, you know, what do you care? You know, you, you know, if Mississippi State's in that, in that group and they don't compete for a championship, well, they're not competing now. Yeah. Um, they just be getting a lot more money. To not and, compete. <laughs> you know, not to compete. And you, you saw, what, again, what happened this summer. Those who have the biggest, best brands, not necessarily the bi- biggest, best teams, because Texas ain't going to get better at football necessarily playing in the SEC. I think right. we all agree at that. Not, not yeah. right now. Um, the best brands under one tent, that's who wins. And the SEC has more uh, traditional rivalries and more potential rivalries you haven't even thought about or seen than anybody else combined, really, in college football. Just take Texas alone. Texas LSU, Texas Alabama, Texas, um, you know, Georgia. I don't even know. If they play. I'm sure they have in a bowl game. But yeah. think about those games that, the, that they can cycle through that are just basically inventory content that they can throw out there week after week. Yeah. And they, the SEC has that contract, the entire contract starting in 24. And it's interesting. I, I saw some things on Twitter when uh, when Texas first made the announcement and people who were pro-Texas said they were tired of carrying Kansas State. Why they pick Kansas State, I don't know. And so I'm usually not a rabble rouser but I couldn't help myself. And I said, yeah, tired of carrying them to a losing record because K-State has a winning record against Texas in Big 12 play. But the brand is obviously much bigger right. uh, with Texas. So it's really not quality of play. It's quality of or number of eyeballs watching watching the programs. Well, TCU's beaten them seven of the 10 meetings in the Big 12. They've always yeah. looked down their nose at TCU. They yeah. want TCU in the league until they needed TCU in the league, you know, they needed, they needed them to join the league yeah. to keep them whole. Um, and yeah, that's, that, that's never going to end. Well, I, we could wrap it up here. And then as soon as we get stop, stop the recording, we'll, something else will change. You'll get a text from yes. somebody or, or whatever. So I, I want to wrap it up with this and I appreciate your time. I know you're really busy, uh, but I always like to wrap up my interviews with two things. One, talk about your family. Um, just married to the lovely Janet for 34 years. I have two children, uh, Jack, 25, Haley, 29, the love of my life. Um, wouldn't be here without them. They're very successful. Um, my wife is very successful and, you know, we've, we're adventuring on this new life now with a, with a second home in, uh, in Arizona, um, and just loving life. That's, uh, that's basically it. I owe all my success to them. All right. Great answer. And then I've had a number of different answers. I've asked uh, 17, 18 year old young people who are professional athletes, this question, and I kind of get a furrowed eyebrow when I do. And I've asked uh, pro football hall of famers, the same question. So you can answer, you can interpret the question however you want and answer it however you want. What's your legacy? Oh gosh. Uh, I will, uh, I will use the line. I, I always carry around from Annie Hall in 1977, from Woody Allen. When people talk about that stuff, I go, look, 85% of life is just showing up. You know, just sometimes you get lucky, 
Um, there's, there's no formula for me. Maybe there are for other people, but I, you know, right place, right time. Um, you know, when I'm gone, hopefully, uh, some, some people remember me, my family remember me, but you know, everything changes. So that's it. Dennis, it's always good to catch up with you. It's good to see you at sporting events. Hopefully we'll be out and about a lot more in the, in the days and weeks to come, but I appreciate you joining us very much. David, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.